0: Listen. 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 The world is talking. World Talk Radio Studio A
1: This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. What Civil War related fact do these places have in common? Chicago, Milwaukee, Louisville. Greater Pittsburgh, Knoxville, Cincinnati, Great Britain, Ann Arbor, Kalamazoo, Baltimore, Austin, North Jersey, Greater Boston, Orange County, North Jersey, Cleveland, Puget Sound, and hundreds of others. The answer is, they're all homes of Civil War roundtables. We'll find out what a Civil War roundtable is, how to join one, and perhaps even why yours is better than the one in the next town with our guest, Matthew Borowick, Civil War roundtable columnist for the Civil War News today on Civil War Talk Radio.
0: As a child, I spent a lot of time at the big office building, just reading books. My mom insisted I stay in the highway on ramp to finish my education. So she dropped me off the office building before going to her second job. She didn't want me working at the vacant lot like my dad. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit NationalTrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council.
1: Answer the President's call to service.
0: As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a Senior Corps
1: volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion.
0: As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world.
1: It's your chance to make it better.
0: Apply online at nationalservice.org.
1: The world is talking. World Talk
0: Radio, Studio A.
1: Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for the university, nor does it speak for me. Uh, and the same applies to our guest, who has his own opinions and will express them freely when we get there. Before going any further, I want to share a piece of information I learned this past week uh, from a Civil War talk radio listener. The commercial we heard during the uh, the break there, the uh, public service spot about preservation, uh, very aptly uh, runs during this show. Those are, all the commercials in this show are, are public service spots. I'm not compensated for them. Uh, if you want to buy a commercial on the show, please uh, get in touch with me. We'll work something out, depending on the nature of your business. I'm sure we can uh, make, make something worthwhile. But for the meantime, we have these public service announcements, and the one on historic preservation certainly is for a good cause. But it was just this week that I learned that the, uh, the actor, the voice actor who tells a story about uh, growing up, uh in what is now uh, turned into a vacant lot and so on uh is apparently Frankie Faison the same actor who played Jim Lewis in the movie Gods and Generals I'm sure most of you listening to the show have seen that movie uh I have actually not seen the movie I've read the book uh Michael Shara has been on the show here we've uh, talked about it and and uh I have great respect for uh his father's work and for uh uh, for Michael uh, as a person who's a, a friend we see each other at book shows and other places uh, he knows and I I've said before I'm not a huge fan of of gods and generals uh for a number of reasons but the movie uh is not not what the book was at all and uh, as he said on the show here uh, uh Michael Sharp said the uh, the movie had very little to do uh, or he had very little to do with the creation of the movie it became someone else's project so i feel free to uh uh, to talk trash about the movie without insulting a former guest uh, on the show. The uh, the movie, well, most of you have seen it, so we'll, we'll not go into that. We'll save that for another day. Uh, looking ahead, uh, there will be no uh, live show next week uh, or for several weeks after as we go into the end-of-semester break here at East Carolina University uh, and the holidays that follow. The next live show after today will be January 9th. 2009. Uh, Something to look forward to. And following that, uh, we'll be into the Lincoln Bicentennial year, 200 years after the birth of Abraham Lincoln. We'll do a number of shows relating to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Guests like uh, uh, Vernon Burton will be on the show in in, uh, January or February 2009, author of the great uh, new book, Age of Lincoln, and we'll have other uh, interesting speakers. We will not do a show on Uh, February 13th, the day after Lincoln's birthday. Uh, I will be uh, that day in or February 12th in Redlands, California, to deliver the Watchhorn Lecture at the the Lincoln uh, Shrine there in Redlands. So for our West Coast listeners, this is uh, my first venture west of the Mississippi in a long time. And if any of you happen to be in the area, please come down and uh, join us for that. Uh, You can look online for... Uh, Lincoln at Redlands. It's the AK Smiley Public Library, the actual location, and I look forward hopefully to meeting some some of you out there. I was especially pleased uh, to be invited to give this lecture. Uh, My friend Don McHugh, the curator there, and I were talking at the Lincoln Forum back in uh, November, and at that point uh, they had a different speaker lined up, but something... uh, political happened involving uh, the new administration. The Speaker got uh, involved in the transition team, I believe, and had to change his plan. So uh, I was happy to pinch hit in this case. And I was especially happy, uh, if I can share another brief story before we get moving today, Uh, because on February 12th here in North Carolina, the North Carolina Lincoln Bicentennial Commission will be having an all-day seminar in uh, Raleigh uh, North Carolina they will have some some very good speakers, people like uh, Bill Harris uh, John David Smith, and others they 'll also have some people of whom I have to admit i 've never heard um, other than william Harris who 's written a number of Lincoln books. It will not feature very many people who 've actually written anything about Abraham Lincoln, but you know they sort of study the nineteenth century that should be good enough. Uh, they bring this up. Uh, and I, I understand bitterness is never uh, pleasant, so I'll try to moderate this. Uh, uh, but I got a brochure about the the uh, Lincoln Bicentennial Commission of North Carolina and the seminar they were having, and my colleague David Long, who has been on the show, uh, author of Jewel of Liberty, a book on Lincoln's reelection in eighteen sixty four he got the same flyer, and we both had the same reaction, which was to pick up the phone and, and call the organizer, uh, not someone we had heard of, and say, well. You know, it's nice like that you're having this. Um, it would have been certainly an honor to be invited to be on it, but that's okay. You can't have everyone. But given that we're the only two members of the Lincoln National Bicentennial Advisory Commission uh, who actually live in North Carolina, perhaps you could have even contacted us to see who might be a good person to have on, on the bill. Uh, people who have actually written about Lincoln, for example, of whom we know a few. That didn't happen, uh, uh, and not that there's an a, a, a Eastern Carolina chip on my shoulder, but if Eastern Carolina were separated from the rest of the state and made an independent state, it would be the poorest of the 51 states uh, by a number of measures. And I've learned since moving out here a few years ago that the folks uh, in the state capital often do sort of uh, forget that there's any intellectual activity east of I-95, and... Uh, So when it was time to organize a Lincoln program, they looked up and down the hall at their various universities in the research triangle and found a bunch of people. And it didn't occur to them that Dr. David Long uh, or myself might actually know a Lincoln person or two. So I was thrilled uh, that I will actually be attending a much uh, uh, bigger event on February 12th. And if they do turn around and invite me, I can just say, oh, I'm just so terribly sorry. Uh, i got a better date. Uh, So I'm I'm quite happy about that. It's petty, it's small. I should be telling a worldwide audience about it, but uh, that's where I'll be on February 12th, uh, and I'm sure they'll have a good program in Raleigh as well. Well, having unburdened myself with that, uh, let me thank everyone who has sent donations in in the past week to Civil War Talk Radio. You can do that at civilwartr at aol.com. You can send your suggestions uh, also, uh, to my email address here at uh, ecu.edu and uh, let me know who you'd like to hear on the show. I'm very remiss in not replying to a number of emails from listeners over the last couple of weeks, and uh, uh, today was the last day of final exams for my courses this fall semester. I'm eager to get a weekend of grading behind me, and next week I'll have time to get back and catch up on correspond- correspondence and answer those emails that many of you have been sending with uh, some excellent ideas, ideas for alternate websites that I uh, very much would like to explore, ideas for all kinds of things. So thank you for writing, and I'm sorry not to have gotten back yet. I will do that. Well, enough uh, background. Civil War Talk Radio, uh, the initials are CWTR, coincidentally gets confused often enough with uh, CWRT, the Civil War Roundtable. And it's not just a coincidence. When Civil War Talk Radio was started, uh, when I became involved with it, my concept of it from the start has been to be a kind of Civil War Roundtable of the air, or of the net, more accurately. Uh, Today we're going to talk about just what the Civil War Roundtable or tables are, is, uh, what they they may be uh, with our guest, Matthew Borowick, who writes about civil War roundtables for the Civil War news, Mr. Borowick, are you there? I certainly am thanks for having me jerry thanks for for patiently hearing me out for a few minutes there and and glad you could join us. Do you go by Matt or Matthew or what Matt is perfectly fine wonderful um, the uh, uh, first question uh, Matt, before we start talking about the roundtables, is uh, you write for the Civil War News. What is that?
0: The Civil War News is a monthly publication put out in newspaper-type format which covers uh, information about goings-on related to the American Civil War. And, you know, my kids will joke with me and say, what new news is there about a war that took place well over uh, 100 years ago? But the fact is there's a monthly publication very well done by uh, Pete and Kay Jorgensen that covers everything from reenactment events to different uh, exhibits that are going on to different speakers that are out there and to a large degree preservation news because, as you mentioned earlier, there's a declining amount of land that's out there, and some of it, being Civil War battlefield, needs to be preserved today, unless I be remiss a relatively newer part of the Civil War news being a concept that I approach them with, which is to write about Civil War roundtables.
1: You said uh, Pete and Kay published the Civil War news. Where where are they located? Where does this come from?
0: It actually comes out of Vermont, and they've been up there for quite some time publishing out of there. But the Civil War news is available through, I think, primarily through subscriptions. But, of course, if you take a trip to Gettysburg or some of the other larger Civil War sites, I'm sure you can find it on some of the newsstands in the Park Service um, stores and whatnot around there.
1: So if if a listener wants to subscribe to Civil War News, they should uh, just look, look it up on online? Will they find a website it's for It's available
0: it? online, and it is, I believe, civilwarnews.com is where the on, online presence is, and obviously subscriptions are available through that uh, also.
1: Okay, well, that, people may want to follow that up and see what it is we're talking about. Now, uh, the Civil War news comes out of Vermont. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you are, and how you got there.
0: Well, I'm a lifelong New Jerseyan, born and bred in the Garden State, and have had also a lifelong interest in the Civil War. And Currently, uh, I'm calling you. We have something uh, in common other than our Civil War interest. I work for Seton Hall University, and just like uh, the school that you work for, we are also the Pirates.
1: That that is one of my favorite trivia questions. What are the two Division One schools that have the pirate for a mascot?
0: And now everybody listening to this program knows.
1: That's right, uh, the Seton Hall and East Carolina. It's gotten a little awkward with the piracy going on in, uh, off of Somalia. That you know, instead of the cute, cuddly, patch-eye guy with a hook, uh, pirates are actually killing people again.
0: Pirates just don't have the good name that
1: they used to, do they, Jerry? I tell you, it's, no. Piracy is not what it once was. So, uh, so what do you do at Seton Hall?
0: Well, I've, Seton Hall is also the school that I got my undergraduate and graduate degrees in, and after 10 years in banking, uh, came back here about 10 years ago to work in our external relations area. So I head up our government relations. I'm a lobbyist um, in our activities in both Washington and in Trenton, and I also run our alumni relations. So I have the the duty and the responsibility to reach out to our 80,000 alumni throughout the world to Get them excited and interested in Seton Hall.
1: Now you, you, you've heard it said, I'm sure, and said about almost every alumni association that if only Osama bin Laden had gone to your school, you know, we would have had him long ago. Because the alumni associations can track down anyone wherever they move and follow them up with fundraising requests.
0: Well, that's certainly an important, important part of getting resources for colleges and. Uh, I, I wish we were that diligent and able to track people down, but I think we do a pretty good job.
1: Well, that that is uh, uh, you know an important thing to do, obviously. The university can't run without it. We could, and, and I promise we won't, we could spend the rest of the hour talking about the grim budgetary climate of late
0: 2008
1: as we record this today um, uh, in terms of fundraising, operating budgets, uh, everything. As uh, acting department chair, I'm getting bombarded every day with requests to do much more with uh, much uh, reduced resources and it's it's always a challenge and i'm sure you you see the same thing at your university.
0: Certainly do. And you know, but there's relevance to even aside from that the topic that we're talking about today which is you know, the Amer- American society is really dependent on generosity of individuals and whether we're talking about universities who certainly LA product that being education in most cases the cost of that education doesn't match up with the uh, tuition that's being charged that's right and as high as tuitions can be at some places certainly and the difference is made up through the generosity of individuals who see a value in helping the next generation along so part of what we do as i'm sure is done at every college is to help uh, future student, future alumni, current students know, and, and to let alumni know that it was through the generosity of others that they were, in some way, had their education subsidized and provided at a lower tuition than it would have been. And the same is true for needing the generosity of people to help things in the Civil War world, preserving battlefields and supporting groups like Civil War Roundtables that help foster education. About this period in our nation's history.
1: Well, let's talk about the roundtables then. What, uh, where, where, what is, what does it mean when you say civil war roundtable? If somebody has never heard of it, how would you introduce the concept?
0: It's interesting. Civil war roundtables have been around for over about fifty years now. The first one started in the city of Chicago years ago, and in fact, that roundtable goes many times by the name of the Civil War Roundtable. And you noted earlier in your introduction how many roundtables are named after the geographic area that they come from. Well, the Chicago one is the grandfather, if you will, of all roundtables. And these are groups of people pretty much who organically from the ground up started to meet with like-minded individuals, other people who have an interest in learning more about the American Civil War. And they have sprung up not only throughout the United States, but as I found in writing this column, throughout the world. The Civil War is that interesting a topic. There's many cases, Jerry, a misconception that there is some, if you will, centralized Civil War Roundtable organization and that all these disparate Civil War roundtables are merely offshoots or chapters of a kind of corporate structure, Civil War roundtables. Not so. These are, these are all individual groups that have sprung up on their own. The only thing they have in common is that they all promote the understanding and knowledge of the American Civil War. So,
1: so it's a congregationalist model of uh, protestant not catholic each each round table is its own unit
0: that would be a good analogy and it certainly does operate that way one thing though that i found and it kind of spurred me to do this column was different groups have great ideas and they're doing great things out there and different roundtables have different resources and different levels of expertise And I thought, my goodness, how can we share that information so that through a best practices type of column, which is the intention of this column, how can we share that news so that the roundtables themselves can be made stronger? we'll we'll
1: talk about that we'll come back in just a moment we're talking with Matt Barwick uh, who writes about Civil War Roundtables for the Civil War News and we'll find out how to make your Civil War Roundtable stronger when we come back on Civil War Talk Radio